Hey guys, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here with another quick reminder to subscribe or else I'll sing at you. No, I would never do that. Although we do sing in this podcast. So lucky you. <laughs> As always, though, do tell your friends, um, leave us a rating wherever you listen to the Press Gallery podcast. And if any questions, comments or concerns, just give me a holler. You can email me at egraney at postmedia.com or I'm very easy to find on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. I'm not going to apologize for the singing. I'm not going to apologize. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, September 28, 2018, and this is the Controlling the Message edition. With me today, back from vacation, Ms. Paula Simons. Hello, Emma Graney. Hello. How was your trip to Greece? Was it Greece? I was in France, Italy, and Greece. Uh, with my daughter, the classicist, and it was quite wonderful because going to those places with somebody who can read Latin and ancient Greek is super helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would. I uh, when I went to those places, I was absolutely useless. I had no idea what was going. I was yeah, like, oh, she, pretty, pretty she, big thing. Yeah, not, not only did she know what everything was, but she could like tell you what the inscription said. It mm. was. It was. Uh, can yeah. I borrow her when I yeah, go to Greece? No, she, yeah, she's an excellent traveling companion. She's pocket-sized. Excellent. You can take her anywhere. Fantastic. Come, my fellow provincial affairs reporter, Claire Clancy. Hello. Your photos on Facebook look so beautiful, Paula. We had a very mm-hmm. good time. Also, we had Schnodenfreude because it was, you know, 29 degrees and sunny where we were and it was <laughs> snowing here. So Yeah, you definitely uh, yeah. missed a bad spell. That was brutal. I got back from Australia where it was supposedly winter. <laughs> to the last day of summer here and it snowed and I'm like no and education reporter Janet French how are you fine how are you (laughs) (laughs) I like that healthy pause yeah I'm great thanks for asking it's September the education reporter is tired the education reporter is (laughs) moderately tired but you're wearing a lovely dress oh thank you I'm going to the ballet oh cool yeah with Sarah our editor Sarah O'Donnell yeah it's her birthday Oh, that sounds like a fun oh, lady happy day. Birthday, happy Sarah. birthday, Sarah. Happy birthday, Sarah. Should we sing for her since she's not even here today? I think at the end of the podcast. Okay. And so we'll then people, the, yeah. people can look forward to this. We should probably talk about look like, forward politics or, or something. Just, I don't know. <laughs> or switch it off. <laughs> oh, maybe we'll just start singing in the middle and you won't know. <gasps> Stealth sing. <laughs> oh, that's just cruel. Um, okay, so we've got a few things we're going to be talking about when it comes to controlling the message. This week, we're going to be talking about Premier Notley heading to an Alberta Teachers Association conference and controlling a message about pipelines and also some of her government ministers doing the same but this time in relation to federal bill c69 can't get more exciting than that super smooth then we're gonna talk about now this is a bit inside baseball but i figured that you're probably listening to this podcast like inside baseball so we're going to talk about the press secretary shuffle and controlling the message there ahead of the election finally we're going to talk about education funding and the ucp let's kick it off notley now, we talked about this last week, didn't we, Janet? We sure did. Uh, Premier Rachel Notley, no, she was not involved at that point, was she? No, she was not. That's a- why it was like, oh, look at that. This is, this is, <laughs> that was news. That's the, news se- that's out the, the secret special guest. Sephora <laughs> Berman, the gift who keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah, so basically, as we under- outlined it last week, Sephora uh, Berman, who is a somewhat controversial, perhaps environmentalist, was invited to speak as a keynote at an Alberta Teachers Association side conference kind of thing. Now, there was a bit of an uproar about this. 
Rachel Notley yesterday was at the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association Conference in Red Deer of Alberta, whatever, A-U-M-A, whatever that stands for. A-U-M-A. 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 Mm. It sounds Finnish. In Saskatchewan, it's Suma, which is far easier and to Sarm. say. Sarm. Loved yeah, Sarm. So good. Anyway, the point <laughs> is she was in Red Deer and she was doing a speech and it's not often that news breaks out during a... Um, you know, a speech. <laughs> That's actually really quite rare. So when Rachel Notley said, and now you'll all be the first to know that I'm going along to the Alberta Teachers Association conference and I'm going to counter misinformation that a certain environmentalist is spreading. And I tweeted something like, oh my God, there's news, there's news. So that's quite a thing. The Premier has decided to go along and counter the message being put out there by environmental activist Zabora Burm. Now, so this, this continues to fascinate me, the way in which Rachel Notley has sort of assumed the mantle of pipeline defender. Because had Jason Kenney said that he was going to the ATA to debate Zabora Berman, I think the public Ooh. response would have been quite different than when Rachel, different. Rachel Notley gets to play both sides against the middle in a way that I find really quite fascinating because if a conservative premier, it doesn't have to be Kenny, if any conservative premier had said they were doing that, people would have said, oh, this is the government trying to shut down the message. This is the government interference in what the ATA is doing. Somehow when Rachel Notley says that, it's all tickety-boo with people to the <laughs> left of center. Uh, but I think it's it's also really clever strategy on her part, because otherwise you do have the UCP jumping up and down and setting their hair on fire and saying why it's Sephora Berman getting sort of privileged access to speak to Alberta teachers uh, for Notley to go in there and uh, rebut that message uh, is a really smart tactic for her and, and take some win from UCP sales. And for people who might not know kind of the history of Sephora Berman with the Alberta government, she was chair of the political advisory committee on the oil sands for about 18 months. Um, or, yeah, I think so. Oil sands that. advisory committee. Yeah, yeah before she... Yeah, a um, while, yeah, because yeah. the UCP were... Or, Back then, Wild Rose and PCs were bringing this up in, I looked back over the files and the, yeah, that was basically since they formed the Oil Sands Advisory Committee way back in 20, what, 2016 for sure, maybe even late 2015, her appointment was being used as somewhat of a political, a political cudgel, I believe, is a the political. phrase. Political <laughs> cudgel. Political well, cudgel well, well, the, was the phrase that I yeah, used. I mean, yeah, so, you know, right, the NDP's idea at the time was sort of, we'll co-opt somebody who right. is, I don't co-opt is an unkind word, but by putting somebody who had <laughs> who had a fierce environmental record to chair the thing that the board would somehow have more credibility. But of course, um, you know, when you, you take somebody who is antithetical to the business plan of your government inside the circle, there are consequences, there are backsplash to that. My question is, who approached who? Did, mm. did she approach the ATA and say, like, yo, I, I would like to counter I hope she said message. that exact same thing. <laughs> yo. Yo, ATA, what, what? What happened? Not leaving the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please let this happen. Please. Um, or did the ATA approach her? Because the spokesperson for the ATA had said previously, hey, like, we're looking at trying to get another person in there who will balance out Spora's message. And I'm guessing it wasn't necessarily... Chris Slabicki, who I feel bad for because he's being completely overshadowed. You're and, all and looking so, at me. So so who Chris is Chris Slabicki? He's the CEO of Modern Resources, who will provide an address on uh, the realities of energy and the environment in Canada oh, and around the world. Yeah, because they sent out that updated uh, yeah. thing. That's, that's another speaker, a third speaker at the ATA convention in front of these social studies and environmental science teachers. I'm sure he'll be great. 
you know? Yeah. His message is going to be totally overshadowed by the Zabora like, Otley thing. Yeah. But. Clancy, you you did this story a while ago on the ATA. You had a chat with them. Are you surprised that Notley has taken this step to go to the conference? No, I think they said, I mean, they said that they were looking for um, a, someone who could counter Sephora Berman's, um, I guess, stance on the oil sands. But yeah, I mean, I know that they were searching for someone. So I think Janet's question, I, I was thinking the same thing. I'm really curious if Notley's staff kind of you know, phoned the ATA and said, you know, the premier might be interested in being that person. So, um, I mean, I guess we'll never know that, but. Or maybe they'll just tell us if we ask. Maybe ask you try asking. Crazy idea. <laughs> asking a question? What? <laughs> what? what? We do that? Janet, you come in crazy ideas on a Friday? Like, I know. Uh, no, but, but it does fascinate me, right? Because, you know, imagine the thought experiment that that really any other person is in power. And people would say, oh, you know, the premier is bigfooting the conference and the premier is interfering in the, the ATA's, uh, you know, messaging. Mm. And but somehow Notley gets carte blanche or I don't know it's carte blanche, but she gets like sort of uh, a platform. A, no, but no, no, that's just a platform because no it, one's saying because any, any, any premier, any premier could step in and take that platform. Mm. She somehow gets the moral rectitude to do that without making it look as though she's interfering in what the ATA is doing. And I just think it it's, it's intriguing. And again, she'll, it allows her to position herself as a defender of pipelines in a way that no conservative could. And of course, um, kind of similarly, uh, when it comes to sending the pipeline message across, we've got Bill C-69 is a thing that's happening in Ottawa right now. Clancy, you were following this story, right? Uh, earlier on in the week? Yeah, so Bill C-69, it's in its second reading in the Senate. It's already been passed by the House of Commons, and basically it's um, a massive bill that would overhaul the way that projects are approved through environmental assessments in Canada. Um, And so it would affect projects potentially, like Trans Mountain and other pipeline projects Alberta wants to get approved. We haven't really heard much um, in the last year or so from Notley about this bill. So earlier this week, Notley was speaking at the International Pipeline Conference, and um, during the speech, she said that she would be sending Energy Minister Mark McQuig Boyd and Environment and Parks Minister Shannon Phillips to Ottawa um, to testify before Senate against the bill. Um, the Alberta, one of the big concerns that Alberta has with the bill is that in terms of pipeline approval projects, it, as of right now, includes downstream emissions, which is something, you know, Nolly has spoken out against before. Um, but what's kind of significant about these two ministers going to Ottawa is that, um, you know, it comes at a time when Notley and Trudeau have been having these meetings um, on and off in Alberta, and then Notley went to Ottawa a few months ago as well about Trans Mountain and kind of the future of Alberta's resources. Um, the UCP, their response to the ministers going to Ottawa were the Jason Kenney's response was, "I've been saying I've been that saying this for C69 ages, is ages. yeah." So he said, "Yeah." So that basically he's been trying to. Um, make an issue out of Bill C-69 for months, and then it's, you know, the Premier's finally taking some action. So yeah. she's she's taking my advice. It is a little bit of a too little, too late. I mean, by the time you're in the Senate. But of course, we have to think about the logistics of this, or, or the timeline of this. When the bill first came before the House, it looked like Trans Mountain was going to go ahead, and yeah. everything, changed. everything was tickety-boo. Yeah. Now, with you know, with the federal court decision and 
uh, Notley fighting for her life, suddenly opposing the Liberal government's bill on this issue is a much more obvious tactic for her than it was at a time when she was still trying to uh, you know, maintain a really good relationship with the prime minister and when it looked like Trans Mountain was going to go ahead. And so this wasn't going to be a huge impediment. Now uh, the tables are... I don't want to say the tables have turned. The tables haven't turned. The tables they look they, very they, different. They, they, they set they, differently. They, 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 yeah, they changed the table settings, and so <laughs> they uh, put away the good silver and the uh, right. and the lovely antique set, and now they've got plastic plates. They got out the Melmac there. out, so you yeah. know, uh, as long as you're going to throw the Melmac about, uh, I, you know, I I have some sympathy with Jason Kenney's argument because it's true. This is just what I said a minute ago. When Jason Kenney says it, somehow it seems you know harsh and extremist. And when Rachel Notley says precisely the same thing, she can she can achieve an audience that he can't. I'm sure it must be intensely frustrating for him sometimes. <laughs> Notley did say that you know um, when asked you know what action has the government taken in the last year or so, she said, or I guess since it was introduced in February, um, she said that it's been kind of meetings with officials in Ottawa um, talking about kind of next step forward. So she said that the government's been taking action, but it just hasn't been kind of a public slamming of this federal bill. They sent some letters, I believe, is what happened. Yeah, but now, now, you know, with, with Trans Mountain in peril and with this bill about to come into effect, now they need to have some public shrieking, I guess. Um, but I think, I think Kenny makes a good point. It is a bit after the fact. Well, they have also some industry groups have come out since it was introduced and they've seen the details, you know, sort of weeks or months after to speak about their concerns about it. Like the Canadian Energy Pipeline Association um, basically said it would be difficult to imagine that any more pipelines could be built in Canada if this could pass. So that might have been, a you know, a clue to pay attention <laughs> if you're a pro-pipeline premier, just saying. Uh, I think it's also interesting, like probably... Um, the Senate is going to get mixed messages from the Edmonton area because we also have MP Linda Duncan, who's three times tried to introduce an environmental bill of rights. And it, I guess it died on the table or I don't know. I don't pay attention to the <laughs> to parliament nearly as But this is one of those challenges to what is, what is the Senate's role? Is the Senate's role to advise and provide, you know, sort of insightful commentary? Is, I mean, if the Senate actually doesn't approve this bill, uh, then, then where are you? I mean, it, it's one of those cases that for the Senate to take that kind of step, a, a bill has to be really very fatally flawed. Yeah. So, you know, it's nice political theater for Shannon Phillips and Mark McQuaig Boyd to go and testify before a Senate committee. I don't know, practically speaking, if the Senate, uh, so constituted, would would stand up and say no this this bill needs amendment you know send send it back to but that's literally their job it is it is literally their <laughs> job it is literally their job and i mean if if they're what if what they're proposing are sort of you know friendly amendments then that does happen but i think one amendment they are potentially looking at asking for is that there's some kind of exemption for work done in Alberta to approve pipeline projects. So um, if they somehow amended the bill, I don't know how that would work to say, you know, Alberta's work on environmental issues related to the pipelines means that these X, Y, and Z projects are exempt from the new regulations. Yeah, uh, and that's going to play really well in the rest of Canada. <laughs> these pipeline <laughs> rules affect everybody except, except, the, except the province with the oil. <laughs> no problem. Oh, that'd be that'd be great. That's right. That's funny. <laughs> Hey, Prince Edward Island, these these pipeline regulations apply to you. 
I love a good exemption in a bill. Loves it. Does anyone know the last time the Senate actually said, like, no, we're not approving this bill? No Rejected. No. Has it ever happened? Yes. Oh, yeah. It must have happened. It's happened. And as I say, more often, it's like, hmm. You could tighten this C thing up here. But, you know, it's like with the, with the marijuana bill, because people said, oh, you know, the Senate should do something about this. But the, the Senate is constrained by, by parliamentary tradition and, you know, the conventions of the Westminster system. They can't just boot things willy nilly. But that is their job to help refine and perfect and to flag things that maybe in the House of Commons didn't get looked at in a, you know, the, the, the downstream effects of the legislation, if you will. They have done in Australia, there was one classic case where the Senate went, nah, and they just kept rejecting everything and it led to the dissolution of Parliament, actually. What, what haven't they done in Australia? Oh, it's no, nothing. <laughs> nothing. It's a beautiful a prime minister every bloody week. Really, though? Yeah. Yeah. Super so, Good times. Australia, what a nation. Let's move on to the press secretary shuffle and controlling the message there. Um This was just an interesting little aside that uh, we'd heard some rumblings about. So I went and asked and got some information from Cheryl Oates, the uh, Premier Rachel Notley's communications director, I believe is her exact title. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, Let me know, Cheryl, if I got it wrong. She will. (laughs) And she she will. (laughs) She's quite quite, uh, nimble at letting people know when she thinks they got it wrong. So basically what's happening here, and it is inside baseball, I do grant you that, but it is also kind of an interesting development. So basically what they're doing is um, moving all the press secretaries into one big room and uh, inside, right under Cheryl Oates' nose, actually. They'll be right there at her I, I sort of have this vision of like a like a workshop from the Industrial Revolution <laughs> where all the, the people who are spinning the, you know, the wool with the fancy machines are all in one all in one room doing piecework. That's a great work. metaphor. <laughs> Should we explain the difference between a press secretary and like a ministerial communications person? Just for those who aren't so into the baseball? Yeah, so a press secretary is the one that all the media contacts and they're the ones who kind of shape the message as well, right? Speaking notes, do all that kind of jazz for the minister. They're very much a political um, messaging machine, whereas the ministerial communications person is the person that you would contact if you want to get information about stuff happening ministry-wise, like the not nu- political-wise. The, the nuts and bolts. How does you know? Yeah. How does your ministry do this thing? Technical versus... bureaucratic. Yeah. Stuff. Now in Saskatchewan, they do not have press secretaries. They do not. No. Uh, I just don't think the population would support it. Well, but. in Alberta, we didn't used to either. I yeah, mean, I was going to ask you about this. This, this, used, this, this used to be a combined function, and it was problematic because it meant that you were politicizing the work of the ministry. And it was always quite shocking to me when I phoned other provinces, and you you saw the, the difference here. So this is a relatively new situation where you've got press secretaries as well as the ministerial people. The problem with it is is that sometimes the press secretary doesn't actually know the thing because they're the messaging person and not the person with the technical expertise. So oftentimes you end up um, sort of ping-ponging between the two different people to get the answers to all the questions that you have. I mean, sometimes my questions are purely technical and the press secretary sort of wants to dive in and and try to answer the questions without, in fact, having direct access to the information that I need. When did that change in Alberta? That sounded under Redford, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sort of started under Redford and then kind of really surprisingly became very formalized. Yeah, that is under, very recent. Under Rachel Notley. So, I mean, you know... Uh, and it's interesting because when the Notley government took over, I had an expectation that they might replace a lot of those press people, but they really didn't. I mean, a lot of the people who were with the old Public Affairs Bureau under the Tories continued in those same roles under under the NDP, which was fascinating because they had to change their message. 
(laughs) (laughs) It's interesting too, ahead of the next election. So the election's obviously coming up, 2019, spring-ish. And it kind of does make it easier, doesn't it? If you're a boss and you want to control some the messaging of your team, so they're li- having they're, them all in one room. They're literally and- all going to sit in one room? Yeah. So how does that affect like- their access to the minister, though? Because exactly. I, because that's the thing I'm worried about is the education reporters. I go back and forth with Minister Egan's press secretary all the time. You know, she's usually, I don't know what percent of her time she spends by his side, but it's usually a lot, you know. Yeah, especially, especially when question period is on, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're sort or of... Or if he's traveling, Yeah, right? they're, they're attached to them. Yeah. yeah, basically. Well, so there are two free positions right now in two different ministries. And I think um, part of it is Charlotte just doesn't want to bother hiring anyone six months out from an election. She says that's not the case, but that's fine. Um, so <laughs> as to your question, Janet, that is a really interesting thing because where they're located is basically either in the larger office of their minister or directly across the hall. You know, they're very, very close. And you know, sometimes I just go and visit them when I have questions rather than having to, like, go through the rigmarole of emailing or calling or something. I just wander on onto their offices. So I don't know how that will change. Obviously, communications being what they are these days, it's pretty easy to text your minister if you have a question, I suppose. But it is going to be a different setup. Um, whether or not it's about controlling the message, I guess we will see. But it is an awful lot easier to do that when everyone is right in your sight line. In the room. In well, the room. I mean, it's happening anyway because you'll know that... Oh, yeah that many of the answers that we get sometimes have to go through executive counsel before they, they come to reporters. Do. And uh, well, I don't know if every single one does. Huh. They tell me they tell me that not every single one does, but I'm whatever. Mm-hmm. Some are, some answers are faster <laughs> We're such than others. Cynics, I Janet. know, right? Okay, but here's here's my <laughs> cynical comment is that a funny thing is if a bunch of us are all waiting for answers from various government ministries, there are days in this newsroom where just before five o'clock, all of a sudden all the inboxes yep. start going, bing, 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 yep. bing, bing, If I have bing. three different questions, three different yeah. ministries, I will often get, it's like, oh, I will often get the... Uh, Executive Council approved all the messaging. Yep. We can finally write our stories. Bing, Yay. Bing, 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 bing. That does happen. Anyway, so that's inside baseball, as we said, but it's fun to talk about these things. And a lot of you are Alberta politics nerds. God bless your souls, just like us. So it <laughs> feels right you, to talk a lot about of it. You, a lot of you are press secretaries. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why guys. Are, why are we on the podcast? Stop talking about us. <laughs> but behind the scenes, how dare you mention that we exist. <laughs> hey, Matt. Hey, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's move on to education funding and the UCP. Janet, you wrote a story this week. Why was this an issue? Oh, Michael Jans. I think he's the school <laughs> trustee who wants to be on this podcast the most. Um, Hi, Michael. Or the most frequently. Hey, what's up? Um, so he, a little inside, since we love inside baseball and mechanics we and bureaucracy. love that okay, stuff. So there's two things. At a school board meeting, there are two ways that a trustee can bring an, attend- an issue to the forefront to discuss. One is called a request for information, where they ask the bureaucrats in the school district, like, hey, can I have the following info? And then it'll come back usually months later where they read back the information and provide a report back to the board and then the board will discuss it the other way is by making a motion um and then they usually give notice of motion one meeting and then the next meeting they'll debate the motion and pass or reject it or whatever anyway way back in the spring of 2018 uh, michael jans who's the school trustee for southwest edmonton 
put in a request for information asking uh, for four different scenarios of future budgeting. So it was out of concern for some of the messaging he was hearing and some of the criticism he was hearing about the NDP's spending. And then thinking forward to an election, like if that spending was curtailed, how might that affect the funding available for education? And ergo, how would that affect the $1 billion that the Edmonton Public School Board receives to run their schools which their, seems like a reasonable thing 213 you schools 100,000 kids it's it's a seventh of the children in in Alberta go to school in Edmonton public so it's a big chunk of the education budget right um and so he put in he he came up with four hypothetical scenarios um some of which have a basis for concern and some of which I it's unclear where he got this the idea to ask for this specific thing but the four he asked for was number one what if we don't get funding for enrollment growth which the pcs threatened to do before the last yes, election that, before I they mean, were that, defeated yeah. yeah i mean that was so, one of prentice's yeah so what ideas. that what that means is that as edmonton public grows so as they get several thousand more students each year they would not get the money for the students in that year so they would not be counted. So it, it's based on a prediction of how many kids yep. are going to show up in the fall. And actually, that is the case in Saskatchewan. They are not funded in the same yep. year, for, which is a long-standing and it caused battle. A, long-standing we, battle. Janet and I both were put on education yeah. in Saskatchewan. <laughs> and let me tell you, that causes some problems. Oh, it sure does. Huge problems. It, it causes problems whether there's rapid growth or rapid shrinking yep, both in ways. both directions. Yep. Anyhow, so for Edmonton Public, the growth is approximately 3% per year. Uh, so it would be the amount to the same as basically having a 3% budget cut-ish. So they did some calculations. Uh, and the other scenarios they, they look, he asked them to look at were, uh, what if we had a hiring freeze? So we have about 3% of the staff retire every year. If we couldn't replace them, what would that look like? And then he asked, okay, what if we had a whole, like a wholesale 3% budget cut in government funding and a whole or wholesale 5% budget cut? Now, those are the ones that are kind of like, we don't know where he pulled those numbers from. Uh, and so the scenarios came back to the, the most recent board meeting, which was on Tuesday, and said basically the, the, the least impactful scenario was if we did not get our funding for enrollment growth, we would be down about 188 full-time staff. So that includes teachers and other school employees. And the worst case scenario was the 5% budget cut from government, which would result in a loss of 932 full-time jobs. Now, this relies on many, many assumptions. Okay, it's all hypothetical. Yep. So number one, it assumes that any budget cuts would be made directly from the front lines, directly from classrooms and schools, and not from district operations. Um, <laughs> but the counter argument to that is like... you. A, a bus costs what a bus costs to run, you know. It, there, could the argument be made? You that can't the, really change that. Yeah, so much. like it, it would be difficult to make much, for much wiggle room in there, right? The, a Unless building the costs, Catholics and publics maybe think about being in the same bus the well, whole that, time together. Uh, but oh, oh, we all know how that see went. See today's editorial. Heyo. Um, yeah. Well, and also, actually, that's I don't know if this made it even made it into my story, but but that was a point that Trustee Cheryl Johnner made during the debate is that she's she is one of the proponents of having one publicly funded school system, you know, eliminating a Catholicly a publicly funded Catholic school system, and she said, you know, this would not this would be less of an issue if we just had one public system like and later in another debate she said like how long is the madness going to go on <laughs> so they're <laughs> you know they're they're getting a little more uh you know forth, forthright about that anyhow so of course this there were political implications for this um he says that this was not politically motivated that you know he is doing his oh paul's making a face uh he was paul, doing paul was his, actually laughing in the face of that yeah well, that's that's it's what Paula does. It's not um, politically motivated at all. Nope. Of course not. No, uh, no. So, no, 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 no. so uh, 
so he said, nope, this is purely out of fiduciary duty. It is my job as school board trustee to know what, what funding I have to work with going forward. In fact, that is the definition of my job. And so I need to know what the scenarios are. And, and I don't know what the parties are standing for. Like they haven't released any platforms with the exception of the liberals. Uh, and so what they had the debate about this, what they decided was that they, they voted unanimously to make a motion to send this report to all the political party leaders and also ask them to report back within six weeks what their plan is of for course, education Because funding. this was not political in any way. Janet, of course it wasn't. So then why would you send it to party leaders? Well, they Janet, are... six months six months before an election. They Janet, meanwhile, has a mad partisan. poker face right now. <laughs> I have a poker face, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was very good. I'm very professional. Um yeah, so they so so board chair Michelle Draper, who's the only person that can speak once a motion's actually been made, um, said, Nope, we are nonpartisan politicians. We we just want the information. We need to plan. Um some party leaders took this better than others. <laughs> How's my poker face? It's good. Good. Very Lady Gaga. Uh, so, so yes. Thank you. Um, so uh, there was a press conference with Jason Kenney the next day where uh, some reporters had followed up and asked, what do you think of this Edmonton Public Schools report? Uh, and what he said was, I'm going to read. Uh, he said that he doesn't accept the premise of the school district's report that uh, he repeated his, his line that the province can balance its budget by 2022 without cutting any spending. He said, nobody has proposed frontline cuts. Nobody has proposed cu- cutting school board budgeting by 5%. So he doesn't know where they're getting that idea from. Um, and then he says, here's his quote, we need to balance Alberta's budget or those kids are going to end up paying for that overspending in the future with their taxes plus interest. That means we'll have to go through a period of fiscal responsibility, fiscal restraint. And then he accused the school board of playing politics. He said Jans is an NDP member who is using his position and misappropriating or misallocating school district resources uh, by, you know, using their time to crunch these numbers and put this report together for political gain, to score political points. And that this is basically a backdoor NDP tactic. And we're going to see more of this as the election approaches. Huh. Interesting, because it, that is an interesting statement from Kenny, too, because let's not forget at the UCP nomination meeting that Dave Hansen recently won, they had a debate uh, and it was talking about, are there going to be cuts? Yeah. Are they going to hurt? Yeah, they are. Um, so that's what every single candidate said up in that writing. So who's right? Will there be cuts? Will there not be? Because the MLAs are wandering around their writing saying, yeah, we're going to have to pull in our pull up our fiscal socks. And yeah, it's going to hurt a little bit. And the UCP spokesperson, Chris, spokeswoman, that's our style, spokeswoman, spokesman. The UCP spokeswoman, Christine Myatt, said, because I put that point to her, I said, well, you've got an MLA, a sitting MLA, saying that there are going to be cuts and it's going to hurt. Um, she said, you know, Jason is the final arbiter on the platform. And basically, that's all that matters. Ah, right. So nothing you say to get yourself elected as a candidate is relevant. Well, not, to the, pla- not to the platform. No, not okay. till there is a platform. Well, isn't that interesting? Hmm. Well, Ola, do you have any thoughts? I have many, many, many thoughts. <laughs> we're, starting, we're starting to run out of time, though. I want to hear Paula's thoughts on education funding. If, if you want. <laughs> the mic is yours if you want to jump on in. It is really important that a public school board not become a partisan player in political politics. It's also within the right of the school board to look at the logical consequences of what candidates and and parties are saying about 
future plans for the province. That's what I would say. That was very succinct. Let's move on to our regular segment, Good Stuff (laughs) from the Gallery, (laughs) in which we recommend things that we have read or seen or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy, dear, dear, dear listeners. Paula, would you like to kick us off? I, I, like many people, spent way too much of my time yesterday looking at the Brett Kavanaugh uh, confirmation hearing. And so I want to recommend two different pieces, one from the Washington Post uh, and one from the New York Times. From the New York Times, I want to recommend a place called uh, a piece called Is This Good? by uh, a writer named Jennifer Senior, who's an opinion columnist for the New York Times, uh, who talked about watching Christine Blasey Ford's testimony and the way she gave the testimony, the way that she did all the things women have been trained to do to be charming and accommodating and deferential and talked about how how poignant it was in the context of what she was talking about to see a woman having to conform to all these social norms in order for senators to take her seriously. I'd like to contrast that with a piece uh, Alexandra Petrie wrote in the Washington Post about Brett Kavanaugh, <laughs> <laughs> which is written largely them. in all caps. <laughs> Uh, and 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 contrasts the, the the tone and the diction which the federal judge used to defend his reputation, um, not so calmly, not so not so quietly, and you know, and and it it really contrasts the way in which gender norms. I mean, had a woman responded the way Brett Kavanaugh had, I think people would have reacted very differently. So what is, you know, what is a man allowed to say and how is he allowed to say it versus what a woman is allowed to say and how she's allowed to say it. So two great pieces by two really smart female columnists. Thank you very much, Paula. Clancy, what have you got for us, mate? I I was also going to recommend stuff about the Brett Kavanaugh um, hearings yesterday. It was quite a intense day, I think, for a lot of people to watch what happened. So yeah, definitely read pieces about it. And if you haven't looked at some of the testimony, go and watch it. Um, Yesterday, actually, after the Kavanaugh stuff, I just binge watched the RBG podcast I've been listening to (laughs) because I was in a mood. Um, (laughs) So that was helpful. Uh, So that's what I'm going to recommend is the RBG podcast that I I think I recommended it last week as well. But it's very excellent. And I think for anyone who really, really, really wants you to listen to it's really good. That, that's, yeah. that's Ruth Bader Ginsburg for those of you who yeah. <laughs> may, may not down with the with the with, lingo with, with the way the kids talk today. <laughs> yeah, so enjoy that one. <laughs> I'm going to recommend a piece from um, Pajabar online. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but it is fantastic. It was posted yesterday, just as uh, the current state of American politics got even more interesting. It is called "A Brief History of Animals Elected to Public Offices." <laughs> It is absolutely fantastic. We get to meet Stubbs the cat, who was uh, mayor of his town um, for 20 years in Alaska until he died. Yep. Uh, Boston Curtis the mule. He was a county representative. Bosco the dog, who was a black lab, who was a very, very good boy and served as mayor (laughs) in a place called Sunol in California. He was elected in 1981 and he actually defeated two human candidates. Nice. (laughs) Which is... Amazing, because can you imagine how those people felt being defeated by a black lab? Anyway, he served until his death in 1994. But one of I think my favorite, I'm just trying to grab, here we go, Sweet Tart the Cat. Uh, She is a Michigan village mayor. What I really love is that she came in first. Her first and second vice mayors are dogs. And her press secretary is a goat. Quit your bleeding. (laughs) 
Oh my God. We, we, we love you, press secretaries. We really, really do. <laughs> do not appoint a it's, goat, please. Please, please. But it is a really happy read, and there's some great videos there in which they take you to these towns to meet these uh, these Merrill dogs, cats, etc. Janet, take us home. <laughs> I'm going home. I can't top that. Um, I didn't read anything this week that I was not required to read for work because I was single parenting my child who was channeling Brett Kavanaugh's most extreme behavior. And um, so... Yeah, I like beer. Discard my beer. <laughs> uh, is there chocolate in it? Because then yes. Um, so I, I'm i going to recommend, which is very uncreative, the new season of Serial, which is now in its third season, which is the character it is following and dissecting is the court system of Ohio. And it's, I know everyone says that, you know, popular podcasts are really good, but it's really good. Great first episode about the uh, woman who gets in a bar fight. It's the kind of thing that a, a big city newspaper in Cleveland or Edmonton would, would never normally cover. But her path through the, the court system is fascinating. And what, what the justice, the people in the justice system describe as a success is really interesting versus what a normal person might think of, an outsider might think of as success. Uh, and the second one, there's just this great this judge who's just a real character and you just think like how is this person on the bench for 27 years i mean they keep electing him and um real real character real really uh divisive sort of controversial approaches to things nice thank you so much for joining me you guys paula welcome back from vacation thank you very much claire clancy janet french and of course we will be back this time next week for more Alberta Politics Fun on the Press Gallery. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy (laughs) birthday birthday to Sarah. Sarah. Happy Happy birthday birthday to you. And many more.